Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Oops, I did it again. Dun-dun. I swore on TV. Dun-dun. What have I done? Dun-dun. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Sweary herps right there. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Manchester is blue for now. In front of over 40,000 people at Old Trafford, Manchester City put in a statement performance to beat their city rivals. But after an early exit from Europe and more dropped points now in the WSL, are Manchester United's hopes of improving on their work last season all but over? That's dramatic, man. Isn't it? It's a bit. It's, a, it's, 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 it's still early days. Uh, we're also going to talk about that Lauren James performance at the bridge and discuss Emma Hayes' scathing criticism of the WSL schedule. Is she right? Let's get stuck in. Moment of the weekend. So I'm thinking about Rachel Daly's kind of injury time performance. Nice. Because... Excellent goal and then an excellent goal line clearance. So I'm giving that a nod. But I really liked Alessia Russo's last-ditch tackle that she made. It was still 1-0 to Arsenal. In on got like a look like a sure goal. Uh, 1v1 with the goalkeeper. And Alessia Russo, out of bloody nowhere, comes sliding in with like the perfect like centre-back type last-ditch tackle. So I was impressed with that. What about you? Come on, It was me. very McCabe. It like, was a bitch, yeah. yeah well, McCabe she didn't take the player though. But yeah, but... she didn't destroy the player. So mm. that's, I suppose, it's like the new Russo era. Um, I have got to say Lauren Hemp's goal. Um, oh, it was a thing of pure beauty. I mean, Bunny Shaw was kind of almost through on goal, slid it off to the right, and then Lauren Hemp, one-touch finish, the most beautifully curling shot into the top left-hand bins, 
Earps had no chance but to just watch it float in. There was there's nothing there's nothing else you could do. It was it was such a nice goal. It was beautiful. It was almost it was traumatic because it was against United, but it was beautiful. Traumatic for you. Bittersweet it yeah. was. Bitter sure. bittersweet. Sure. Okay, well, on that note, we might as well get stuck into that big, tasty, juicy derby up in the north end of England at Old Trafford. A record-breaking crowd. 43,615 people packed out Old Trafford. I mean, brilliant! the atmosphere. Hat tip to that marketing team, commercial team, everyone involved in all of that because it felt like there was a buzz around the city in the lead-up to this game as well. Um, which you love ahead of a derby, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was great to see like all the banners and everything and the fire, and um, it was brilliant to then have that many people in the stadium as well, and to have the performance. I mean, granted, not the performance for them, but like it was a good match, um, some good goals, yeah, everything you want from a derby. It was, um, it it was that it was jam packed with penalties. It was jam packed with uh, via like kind of a, a new question about VAR because of like the offside with JC and then obviously the ball coming out of play and then sort of going in and everyone saying well it was only four minutes after that then Man City then scored so like should that have been brought back then we had a red card then we had sort of like equalizers and it was just the game that brought everything you wanted to a spicy North Derby so Man City come back from a goal down that penalty. Zellum steps up, takes a pen, cool, calm and collected. Kiara Keating does well to get a good yeah. little hand on it, but the pace obviously took it past her. Um, and, a, and a blatant pen. It, it was a blatant Alex pen. Alex Greenwood flying without wings in the box, like, what are you doing? Yeah, not the best thing to Both do. Both arms up. Um, yeah, I don't think, no one, that wasn't really criticised too much. There no. wasn't, I didn't see anyone say, mm, not, not I think Alex pen. was like, yes. Fair play. Um, Foster, yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, they stunned Man City, uh, Man United in their own backyard. 3-1. I mean, was it a surprise or did we actually see this coming given City's form? Do, do you know what? Like, it was a tough one to call. Um, I think based on not the last two performances, I think earlier form during this season, yeah, probably would have given the edge to City. Equally though, Manchester United hadn't been beaten this season, right? So, yeah. you know... Just and Chelsea left. Yeah, and it was it was a difficult... Um, like a difficult game to to call to to guess who was which way it was going to go, especially after the fact that Manchester City had lost two on the bounce, and it like regardless of what Gareth Taylor said, it is massive pressure if you've lost two. No one's won the league having lost more than two games. Yep. So you know, like realistically, you can't lose this game if you want to be in touching distance and, and still win the league. Um. So it adds more pressure, and for them, it's you know away if you like because it's at Old Trafford. So loads of pressure on the game. Um, but to come out the way they did, I thought they started really well. I thought they were the better team. Um, Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly are both been superb. I think Lauren Hemp, form of her life at the moment. I think Chloe Kelly is one of the brightest sparks in the team at the moment. She always looks the most exciting to watch. Agreed. Um, and you always feel like something's going to happen with her. So the two of them, I thought, were brilliant. Did you think when... Because Man City were piling on the pressure. So it seemed to me the tactic was to just initially... First guns in, just go absolutely blazing and Man United and see what they had to offer. And I think within the first 10, 12 seconds or so, they'd already got themselves a corner. They'd won the first header. Um, so they'd registered the first opportunity within about, it's about a minute of the game. But then I was thinking, OK, well, that was very Brighton-esque. I mean, that's what we saw last time with, you know, Hit Chloe the crossbar. Kelly hitting yeah. the crossbar in the minute. And then obviously it just then descended. So I was thinking, Do you know what, let's not panic. But how are Man United going to respond to that? But it felt like Man United was sort of trying to pick out Zellum to sort of sort of try and 
spread the ball and get it further up the field. But the Man City press was so intense and they were sort of trying to, I think Bunny Shaw was kind of dropping in, trying like like create or destroy that avenue. And then I didn't see much of kind of Man United being able to really work around that press. And like a lot of the opportunities that then came were from the City press and Man United not getting it right. Yeah, Man United were really flat when they were playing out from the back and there were very few options for Mary Earps, but they obviously were still wanting to play out from the back. And then you'd end up with Mary Earps. Like normally she's pretty good distribution wise. Her distribution was not great during the game. And there were times that she'd be giving it straight to a Manchester City player in their own half. Yep. And, you know, that's down to poor distribution. It's also down to not having enough options. I think too many players were kind of just flat back across mm-hmm. across the, the back line. And you're like, well, that's not going to progress the ball forward very much. And it's not giving you, if you next to me aren't available, the person next standing pretty much in the same line as you isn't going to be available. Need variety of depth. Yeah. So I think that is also down to Man City's press. I thought Man City's press is excellent. It is one of their strongest areas, I think. Um, but yeah, the midfield is, I think, the midfield battle they lost a little bit as well. Um, and as I've touched on, the wingers for, for Manchester City have been a hugely important they're always hugely important, but I think this season they've been particularly exceptional. If I'm going to find any kind of silver lining to Man United's performance, what I did absolutely love was the trio of Mallard, JC, and Paris. Um, I felt like the combination. I thought that was when it actually when the ball actually arrived to them. I thought they were very punchy. I mean, JC in particular. I think. I mean, she's had a stellar start to the season anyway. But and you could see the frustration actually because I don't think they were getting a lot of the deliveries. There weren't a lot of chances that they were able to create by not getting the ball in the first place. But I think that trio there seems to work well. I think I feel like I think, Skinner's found. <clears throat> yeah, but I I'm not. JC is is struggling in front of goal in terms of productivity, and I think. She looks more dangerous when she's out on the wing and Mallard is in is central. And there was a point in the first half when we were watching it back, and I like Sophie been saying to me, I, I think Jay-Z's better on the on the wing, Mallard Central. And I was like, Jay-Z is on the wing. She's mm-hmm. like bombing it down the wing. She's looking brilliant. And it turned out that that just happened to be whatever had happened in that particular passage of play, and they'd switched. And it just it showed that she's her speed, she's so quick, she gets by um players. And I find that the that her final ball is the issue, and actually Mallard is is more effective in front of goal. And for me, that potentially could have been better for United if they if those two had switched. Okay. But, the, you know, because it's there. It's it's just there. Do you know what I mean? And there is an element of being, you know, young and, and finding your feet in the league. And it takes a little while. We see them at number nines when they come into the league that it takes them a little while. And it is in touching distance. It's I on just, the cusp. It is. Isn't it? Yeah. it? And I think it's that. I think when you also look at the fact that, you know, Mallard and Jay-Z don't have this kind of massive history that the Man City players do of having played together for years and years and seasons and seasons. But, you know, when you look at the fluidity of some of Man City's passing and, you know, the kind of the combinations they were playing, I mean, even the, the two goals scored in quick succession, you know, Kelly to Rod. I mean, obviously Rod's already come in this season, but she's only one sign-in that they've made. And then it, it just... It, it was, a, it was a beautiful thing to watch. I thought it was just a really beautiful passage of play to watch. Um, and that Roared goal is also experience as well. She's been in Champions League finals. She knows when she gets the ball in the box in a high-pressure situation, you don't have time. Been in the WSL. You know, you take the ball, shoot. Like, the, the speed at which she received the ball and put in the bottom corner. Absolutely. You know, that's experience. And, and they're the kind of things that will come with new newer players in the league, your JCs as well. Like, she will get there. She will, she will get, you know, be better at that under-pressure type of play. Um, but yeah, as we say, they're on the cusp. It's, it's nearly there. Well, we've spoken a lot about Mark Skinner's rotation this season. We got this question from Lorenzo. 
was Skinner right to gamble with the changes he made in the derby? Mm. I don't think he should have taken Paris off so early. I still think she had a bit of spark and energy about her. And I looked at it like, obviously they panned to her, you know, crawling up the, the steps onto the bench. And she just looked so deflated. And I don't think there was enough to warrant her coming off. I was a little bit concerned when he brought on Riviera. I, I was like, she's not really done that well. I think she's looked a little bit shaky, especially in the Champions League games. But she offers but, that attack, attacking threat. But she did do that. Actually, I was like, Chloe, shut up and sit down. Because actually, <laughs> she really grew into the game and she offered that attacking threat on the wall. Like she was pacey. She was like the energy that we needed. But, and again, I was thinking, you know, we we need to find, by the end of it, it's 3-1. We need, we've got, what, 20 minutes left to play or so. Rachel Williams is going to pop up at some point. And here she comes, Rachel Williams. No fear. I mean, you've got two goals to get back this time, but it's not outside the remit of what we expect from Williams, is it? But again, she also felt flat and I was expecting a little bit more from her. I mean, but what did you think about Skinner's rotations throughout the game and the, and the subsequent? Well, I, before I, I thought starting Galton kind of left back position. Different. Unusual. Different. Um, it's a big game to... Take Tinker. those risks, yeah. Um, and, you know, you get it right, you're a genius. You get it wrong, what are you doing making rotations in a big game, right? So I'm not a manager, but it is something you're obviously going to look at is when you make those little switches, mm-hmm. did it pay off? Um, and you wonder, are you kind of maybe stifling Galton a little bit? You, like, when you think to that FA Cup final against Chelsea and Leah Galton in the first, like, minute or two or whatever, it was so early on, getting up the pitch... And it results in a goal, which I think ended up being offside, right? Or was it, did it count? Anyway, the point is, I'm so used to seeing her bombing down the wing, creating, getting in, you know, annoying fullbacks. um, Being an irritant. Yeah, and I just wonder whether that was the best use of her, is the way I'd look at it. Um, You know, maybe Hayley Ladd would have provided a little bit more stability in that midfield. Um, Again, with experience, having played Manchester derbies before. Because you have to factor that in. It's... Coaches like to say it's just another game, mm-hmm. but a derby is a different beast. Brian Sorensen said it ahead of the Liverpool game. Everything kind of goes out the window, right? Form, whatever. It's it's a different kind of game when you're playing a derby. And I think that experience in those moments and experience in playing in Old Trafford are important in these situations. Yep. So, yeah, look, I mean, had they won it, would we have been questioning his tactics? No, but um, yeah, I'm, some of the starting lineup maybe a bit of a surprise. Okay, well, not the only controversial things to be happening in this game. Skinner's rotations. Um, I mean, we've got to talk about the 55-minute goal. The Maya Letizier back pass and the Mary Earp's attempted clearance, which ricocheted off a chasing Bunny Shaw and sort of trickled into the goal. What are your thoughts? Because there's there's two camps. There's the camp that can see no wrong in Mary Earps, and I have been known to frequent that camp. Of a, <laughs> have you? <laughs> of an evening. <laughs> and there is the camp. That sense is, imagine you going in, like, swirling a little glass of brandy, being like, I'm just going to frequent this uh, pro Mary Earps tent. Uh, how are we all doing? <laughs> She's fantastic. Just going to peruse the Mary Earps uh, trophy cabinet for, for a short while. Uh, and then there's the moment of, you know, the logic camp. Okay. But that's already telling me what, what side you're on. <laughs> at the moment, I do feel like it, it was, I feel very much on the fence. The Myla Tizier back pass was an absolute hospital ball. There, Mary Earps was already put under pressure. Bunny Shaw is going to chase down something like that. That is just, I mean, Milo Tizier should have definitely been more cautious, more careful with that. But 
Could Mary Earps have done something different? I'm not convinced. Could she have maybe uh, taken a first touch away, like, like to the right-hand side to kind of clear it from her part? I mean, she knew, like, as in Bonnie Shaw was coming straight at her, the only way that ball was going to go, scientifically speaking, is the other bloody way. I <clears throat> Okay, so I think the first pass out, and we spoke about Mary Earps' distribution wasn't brilliant. It was the wrong option. She could have so, gone out on the left-hand side where I there think was she less could, pressure. She could have gone wider with the ball to Maya Letizia because there was loads of space yep. to Maya's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, But at the same time, you see that ball passed out, you're not thinking, oh God, there's going to be a goal. Realistically, it wasn't that bad a ball, mm-hmm. but it kind of started there. Why Letizia didn't turn out, she kind of stayed in on herself, got her feet mixed up, and then ended up giving back this really soft hospital pass. I feel like Mary probably thought she was so far out of her box that whatever collision came together with the ball, like I feel like you could do that a hundred times and it wouldn't go into the goal every time. Do you know what I mean? It's two feet coming together. They were out outside the box, right? Like yeah. it, the chances of that perfectly lining up and going and Bunny Shaw getting the, the perfect weight and, and direction on it, probably pretty slim. Um, it, there's no doubt it's a mistake. And I think both of them probably have a, a part to play. I think, you know, realistically, oh, it's a hospital Captain pass. Sit on it's the a, fence. No, it's a hospital pass for me. Oh, Maya's, Maya's a fault here. Yeah. Do we think? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll give I, you that. You know, Mary probably, I mean, I don't know whether she didn't come out quick enough. I don't know what the, the thought process was, but they both met the ball at the same time. I'm not sure how she could have, like, taken it a different direction. Do you know what I mean? Uh, well, we were kind of talking about this before the pod started. We can't understand why cameras, BBC and sports, <laughs> Sky Sports wise, would then, after a mistake like that, knowing the vocabulary that Earps uses post-mistake or post, you know, a goal that she could have maybe done better, the team could have done better. Anything. A save, a, 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 a tackle. Actually, yeah. Just whatever. Whatever it is. Sorry, Earps um, will be like, <laughs> giving off stink. Why you would then get one of your most powerful cameras to zone in, like to hone in on her face as she is screaming I can expletives Production the office. Ether. Get on her face. Get on her face. <laughs> tight angle. Tight angle. <laughs> Who's got Mary Earps? Get her on camera. There it is. Yes. And then, then someone has to go, oh, we're sorry for the, uh, <laughs> the bad language there. In the heat of the moment, obviously it's understandable that Earps would use language that we don't find appropriate on the BBC or Sky. And I'm like, why did you keep doing it? Why did you keep doing it? Um, so yeah, that was obviously very controversial. Another controversial point. After that, on the other side of the fence... Man City's fourth red card of the season. There's only been one other red card across the whole of the WSL this year. I mean, I don't know if it was a it was a second yellow. Um, I mean, you're thinking you're already on the yellow. You smacked, you smacked someone in the face. Maybe this is Lyra Alexandri's sending off. By the way, just absolutely like right, correct decision. Yeah, one hundred percent all day. She had she had a player. She had Angledal coming in with her. And there were four defenders deeper than her. Like, it's not like it was a one-on-one situation where she thought, I have to take him for the team. Absolutely. You know, had Man United gotten a goal back in the 76th minute or whatever it was, different story. It wasn't that situation. It was like middle of the field, plenty of players around, on a yellow card, yanks her back. What are you doing? It, yeah, it wasn't. there was no clear goal-scoring opportunity that was coming out of having to do that. I mean, I get it maybe strategic-wise, but it, it wasn't. I think it was like a head loss kind of situation. It's funny though, because like you'd look at their disciplinary record this season and think City are some like super dirty physical team. They're not. No. Like they're just not. That's Um, some really nice girls. I think you have to factor in that that game with the two red cards and the 11 cards overall needs a little asterisk. Card fest. Where it was just like, everything went tits up this weekend. This doesn't count. (laughs) 
Well, I thought, I mean, this so the red card happened in the in the 72nd minute, which gave Man United a good 20 minutes plus stoppage time, which was 11 minutes, a good half an hour to get themselves back in the game. Man City, I thought, did absolutely brilliantly in consolidating. Obviously, who pops up? The old spicy lioness's captain, Steph Horton. <laughs> There she is, getting ready. She's like, time to shine. I did not know where this was going. I was like, what are you talking about? Dusted her off. There she comes. Steph's back. Um, Yeah, I think that was, I thought that was brilliant on Taylor's part to kind of consolidate things. He knew that we're going to be exposed, that Man United were then going to see this as an opportunity to go, you know, 10 players down. This should be them thinking back in the game. Rachel Williams is on. You've but got like, 10 Because up until then, as far as I'm aware, they hadn't had a shot on target in that half, Man United. Mm, they were struggling. Like, and, you know, you look at the stats at the end and you, you it kind of, not skews it, but like a number of those shots on target came in the last, it came in injury time kind mm-hmm. of, you know. And yeah, there was definitely an element of Man City sitting back and saying, right, let's just absorb this because they have to get two goals to even get a draw. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? And, and, and time was absolutely running out. So yeah, tactically made sense to do that. And I can't even say that a draw would have been the right result here. No. Absolutely not. So on balance, it's a weird one actually this weekend because it's the first weekend really that everything has kind of gone to plan almost. When Chelsea win, Everton and Bristol City, a draw. Arsenal win against Brighton. West Ham and Villa. Villa just pip it, which is <sighs> just. Maybe, yeah, just <gasps> by the seat of their pants. And then Man City walk away with the points. So it's kind of one of those um, great games but generally things went to WSL plan. If you look at the start of the season, these are what's going to happen sure. in these results. Okay. Yeah, which is nice. It's very nice. But the, can I just say the West Ham Aston Villa game was great crack. Yeah. That I was mean, a, it was a fun game to watch. Christ. I and mean, West Ham deserved a point out of that game. They were very good. Yeah. It was very good football in that first half. Like they came out, sorry, we've gone off topic again, but I wanted on. to give them their, their juice because I thought they did play well. All right. Gareth Taylor said before the game that his City side must remain unbeaten for the rest of the WSL campaign now to be in with a shot of the title. That's hard. Like, Christ. you know, picking up a loss here and there throughout the season is one thing, but to, to get them so early in the season, that just like, and look, maybe it'll, bring a, it'll just bring another level to Man City's game because they have that now. They've done it before. They've gone unbeaten for a long time for a, a number of games, but that's pressure, man. Well, I think it should always be the aim to obviously Surely. lose as least games as possible in a season. But I don't think we should get held up with this. You can only lose two games to win the title. Because I think if you look at the competitiveness of the league now, when you look at like the likes of what Brighton have just done to Man City, when you look at kind of Leicester City's form this week, uh, this this year, I think you're going to see more bigger teams dropping points and more losses happening. Just sure. because Chelsea have avoided it that's thus far. The, that's the thing. That's the sticking point. Yeah, Chelsea are the Still sticking Still haven't point. lost. Yeah. That's where they've got those two aces. And they're finding their form. This is the thing, like, because they haven't started great, but they've been winning. So that's the kind of, yeah, you can go and beat all you like, but if Chelsea do the same, you're not winning the league. Well, still early days. It is. It's still early days. And also to the point you made about has the gloss gone off Man United season? No, it's still early days. Look, we don't know how it's going going to end. They could still come away with a trophy this season and if they did that would be better than last season so come on guys let's just one game who wrote this running order yeah, Finn literally they've lost one game against a top four team yeah Finn <gasps> come on stop being silly one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare 
That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Right. Well, we talked to Chelsea, the mentality monsters. They are allergic to losing <laughs> and lose they did not this weekend for it was a 5-1 destruction of Liverpool. Um, Lauren James stole the show. Master Lauren James class. was the show. Mm. Lauren James versus Liverpool, Liverpool essentially was what it, it should have been LJ v LV. LIV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the top, on that top little thing in the left-hand corner. Scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her first hat-trick for Chelsea and, and an assist. At Stamford Bridge. At Stamford Bridge of all places. No big deal. In front of a manager that has just announced that she's going to be leaving. A kind of mother hen type figure to Lauren James. I mean, Emma Hayes has always backed LJ from day dot. Um, after she started on the bench against Real Madrid, James said, I had a difficult week. I'm thankful for that performance. Emma Hayes, mother hen, stepping in saying, and described her after the game as the most naturally gifted footballer in the country and chose to single out her work off the ball. Um, let's explore Lauren James. Let's, let's play real homage to what happened at Stamford Bridge because you can kind of expect if you're going to score a hat-trick, there might be one or two goals there that might be a little bit, you know, rough and tumble in the box or whatever it is or like, you know, goal. scrappy, something like that. But every single one was a work of art. When she's in that kind of form, there is an inevitability about her play. That's so what I meant. Yeah, that's as soon as meant. she picked up the ball and stepped into the box for that first goal, I was sat there and I just went, goal, 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 goal. And then she took the shot. Like you just knew it was going to end up in the back of the net. Mm. Um, the angle of the goal was something else. We were talking about this before we came in. The way she takes herself out to a position where you think, well, she's... She narrows gone, it. She's gone too far. The angle's too narrow. She's going to have to cross it. Nah, she can get that in the far post. And she did it twice. And then I really liked the third goal. I think it was the third goal in that order. Um, That kind of ball that came in from Canada. And it shows that she has that, she also has that just natural ability in front of goal, that kind of poachers, get a foot on it, um, bang it in from eight yards or whatever it was. Um, It was a, yeah, excellent performance. And as Emma Hayes said, the work she does off the ball, um, pulling players 
all over the place because she causes Coivisto I found out of position a number of times um, and I think that is also what happens when Liverpool play the style they do and their fullbacks get high mm-hmm. Emma Hayes had spoken about the kind of six across the middle that pen you in and it can be really effective if they manage to pen you in but with a Chelsea when they can get over that that kind of line if you like you end up with those fullbacks out of position and you've got a player who can more than exploit that space um, and just yeah, runs rings around people. I think um, I think there was there was obviously a bit of concern after Hayes announced her departure from me because I think James is still a player that is very much developing. Um, you know, we saw what she was capable of in the World Cup, but we also saw how quickly things can change when the mentality side of things. Yeah, sure. when you're still kind of developing, she's only twenty two years old. And last season, I don't think she's she's the productivity was the area as well that that needed work mm-hmm. we all knew on the ball the skill everything she had and it was the end product and you know all those little bits are falling into place and it's just creating a better and better and better player massively i mean i have played against uh, i've had the misfortune God of playing you. against i know is that why you retired it's the, the only reason mm, i retired I it, so. it wasn't my injury in the slightest it was just that I couldn't face another Lauren James I, I couldn't face picking the ball out of the back of my net and turn around to see Lauren James smiling you know, it was that for me God that sounds really like I don't want to see her happy it was harrowing <laughs> I still think about it now in dark wake days you, up, you wake up in the middle of the night like ah <laughs> LJ <laughs> but I mean when the first very first time that I played against LJ was with uh, Spurs in the Women's Championship when she was with United and Kate and she was under Casey Stoney's wing then so I think she's always had the benefit of having you know people who have been there done it experienced you know level-headed solid managers so It'll be interesting to see now what happens to her next season when she does come a little bit unsettled, depending on obviously who Chelsea bring in. But yeah, I mean, it was she had that pace then. She, I mean, Man United ran away with the league anyway that year, but they, you could see the talent that she had, and she must have only been like seventeen at that time. And in fact, she put away. So that was the, that was the first season that she had the hat trick. So she got a hat trick against Crystal Palace that year in two thousand nineteen, the Championship, and that was like the real turning point of people going, Christ. I remember seeing her against Millwall in an FA Cup, I think, and she was 16. And Arsenal had like brought this kid along, put her on, she picked up the, bo- the ball in um, Arsenal's box and ran the length of the field and scored a goal. And me and Sophie were like, who is that? Yeah. Who is that? She's going to be... Like the confidence she had on the ball, the way she plays now, the confidence she has on the ball, that's how she played in she was 16. It's that. It's the the pace, the technical ability, the fact that she can... The, the, the ball is like super glued to her feet, but like the... The, the power of the shots that she can produce from very little distance, very little run-up is incredible. I've never seen anything like it. I think she is destined to become, should she maintain her level head and also ride out the storm that will be this transitional period for Chelsea, the best player in the WSL. Ballon d'Or in the future? You heard it here first. Don't know if you, I don't know if you've heard of Lauren James I don't before. know if you've heard it here first. <laughs> I think we're all saying it. <laughs> Let's talk about another special Chelsea player. Um, a very big, significant day for Sophie Ingle, who set a new WSL record for the most appearances. Just 184 games in the league. I mean... In a league of her own. In a league of her own. I mean, she... Uh, I mean, she's unreal, unbelievably consistent, flies under the radar. She does. She's very kind of understated. Yeah, Zingle. but that's her style of play. It's very understated. What she wants. Yeah, and she's one of those players where you may not notice her when she's on the pitch, but when she's not on the pitch, you notice her absence. Mm-hmm. Um, one moment that stands out for me is when Chelsea were playing Manchester City. I can't remember if it was last season or the season before. 
it was up at the Academy Stadium. So maybe it was the season before because Manchester City had been on that long... Actually, it could have ended up being a draw. But I just remember Chelsea needing a goal desperately. The rain, it was like hammering down. And Ingle just picked it up outside the box and absolutely leathered it and the celebrations like in the weather that you know knee slides like everything it was unbelievable everyone's covered in mud um, and it's just those then little moments where like she still has that in her locker I think um, I mean she's 32 years old I still feel like there is a lot left in her tank there's not a part of me that feels like she's nearing retirement age wise feels like yeah but actually when you actually look at her performances there's nothing she's playing with the best team in England it's that and also like her career with Wales as well I mean yeah, I mean, congratulations. So from all of us here at the Upfront, upfront team, um, we would love to see you hit the 200 um, WSL mark. Not far off that. And maybe we'll get you into the Upfront Hall of Fame, which I've just started this very second. Right now. Maybe we actually should get started on Upfront Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, I, mean, I, I think it... You don't like, need to explain anymore, I'm in. Yeah. Great idea. That's it. Go on, explain more for our listeners. Well, let us know on socials who should be put in there and maybe we'll get started on our first Upfront Hall of Fame. Well, our first person, Sophie Ingle. Job done. We might put you in there. What do you think? I mean, I am up there with the best. Yeah. Having had three WSL appearances. I'd put you in there. Look at that. <laughs> you have a little three stars next to your name. <laughs> no, that's good. Who else? Who else we should put in? But also, like, why? Tell us why. What, like, what have they done that we could... Um, you know, give their little, give us their little kind of. It's a high bar, well, is it? all right. It is. Make them good. Sophie Ingle, that's a high bloody bar. It's one hundred and eighty. Nobody else has done that, so that is a really high bar. But that doesn't have to be the why. That's my point. Is it like their goal scoring? Is it like what they've done off the pitch? Is it like what they've done with their national team? All that kind of stuff. Like, tell us why. Nice. Um, so we had a question in from Gwyn on Instagram. There were only thirteen thousand people or so at Stamford Bridge. Why are Chelsea not getting better attendances when they are the best team in the country? I mean, we saw the same thing for the opening game against uh, Spurs at Stamford Bridge. It, I was at the game. You at the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we went for beers afterwards. Of course, you're at the we game. Did. And um, it again, the same thing. I mean, that was the opening weekend, and 14, Arsenal 000? were playing Liverpool. Liverpool, and that was jam packed. Wasn't that over thirty thousand people that were at that uh, yeah, stadium? Yeah, it was forty. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea don't seem to be hitting the mark. And the thing is, I feel like the marketing is on point. I feel like there's good collaboration, like uh, the marketing and comm strategy. I feel like there's so much hype around Chelsea, this being like now Emma Hayes' last year. They're the only team in the WSL left in the Champions League. They've got these superstar players coming in from the US that everyone wants to see. They've got Lauren Bloody James. So why are people not making that very short journey to Kings Meadow? Well, the marketing isn't fully there yet. There, well, yeah, there, it's not because if it, if it was, um, there'd be more people coming. It's, it's an element of it. Um, like I think to myself, that's the closest stadium to me. I'm a women's football fan. I don't see any, I don't get served any ads or see that much around me. When, oh, in the local area? No, and I live in that catchment area and, Interesting. and a women's football fan. But I also think from an Arsenal perspective, and look, Arsenal fans will say, and they have, Arsenal have been leading the way for years, right? But the fan engagement has changed in the last maybe three two, three years Mm -hmm. significantly at Arsenal and they've managed to capture a culture, the culture around the the game and the fans that the culture is as important as, you know, the the game on the pitch, right? And What do you think that culture is? Well, being an Arsenal fan, right? The grassroots side of thing, you know, bringing a real one club feel around it. When they go to Champions League, they organise fan groups from whatever country they're in to meet up. There's meetups, there's hundreds there meeting up before a Champions League game. 
Um, you know, and it's a really nice vibe when if you've ever been away at a Champions League match with Arsenal, it is a really nice vibe. Arsenal are invested in that. You know, they put money behind the bar before the match. So yeah. the fan groups that have come Leo together. Leo Williamson pulls pints. There you go. But I think it's a it takes a lot of work and it's a, a work in progress for a lot of clubs and a lot of clubs are at different stages of their journeys. Chelsea, I feel, should be much further along because mm. they're leading the way on the pitch. Um, and sometimes there is an element of complacency where you maybe think the badge is enough. Carries you. The winning is enough. Um, and actually that's not necessarily the case because, and we've talked about this before, there's so many more demographics to target than current fans or football fans. You know, the youth demographic is one of the hardest to target when it comes to sport and getting into mm. sport 13 to 25. And actually, it's a really popular demographic within the women's football space. Um, you've got fans who will go to big occasions, even if they're not a fan of that club, right? You don't really get that in the men's game. You've got, I don't know, tourists in London who would happily come to a game for 20 quid that's on the weekend that they're there. Um, there's lots of different demographics that I think should be targeted. They need to be targeted differently. But it takes that concerted effort to be creating this occasion that people want to come to. Chelsea aren't there yet. They've done it before. They've had over 35,000, 38,000 yep. at, yeah, at yep. the stadium. It, they can do it. Arsenal are showing it can be done. Um, but yeah, it just takes that bigger effort and, and bigger piece of building a culture, I think. I would think clubs should be looking at Arsenal and going, I, would, I want that. Like That would be amazing to have, to be consistently getting in 30, 40, 50,000 when you play at your main stadium. That would be unreal. They're also incredibly proactive. I mean, even before the season had begun, they were doing that like five proactive. WSL games. Proactive. That's that's a, I, yeah, that's yeah. correct. That's the word. That's what's missing, I think. It's that. I think like when you look at sort of, you know, Arsenal's ticketing strategy, they were saying 50 quid for five games at the Emirates. I mean, that that's an absolute bloody bargain. Um, but I didn't see anything to that sort of level at Chelsea at all. So. No, and when you think like, the Arsenal game, and I appreciate it's Chelsea, so it's a different situation, but has sold more for their game in December than Chelsea had when they had the game last week. Like, um, do you know what I mean? When you think they've sold over something like 45,000, I think, for that game. Yep. So there is, yeah, you're right, proactive. We've talked about this before, not being reactive and not being kind of, it's not the same as a game at Kings Meadow. Um, it deserves a bigger push. And you also get those like, nice little videos from the players saying, we've reached the 40,000 mark, like, can you push us on to 45? It works, it's an and event, it, you don't want to miss it. Like, yeah, of course I will, Russo. Of course I'll buy a ticket, even if I can't make it. Right, well, getting back to an uncontroversial Emma Hayes. Uh, this week, she's hit out at the scheduling of the game at 1.30 on Saturday after they returned from their fixture in Madrid in the early hours of Thursday. I heard it was about four o'clock in the morning. Correct. She said, we're the only team in Europe and yet we're the only association that doesn't help its team in Europe. Spain do, France do, Germany do, but we don't. There is a rule in place that says we can put on a TV game at 1.30 on a Saturday because there are two days between the games. They're not factoring in the fact that we're getting in at 4.30am. All I'm asking is, don't we want an English team to try and progress in Europe? Is this is this what's been happening to our teams all along? Actually, it wasn't it wasn't Paris FC. It wasn't the fact that we put in absolutely crap performances in the group stages of the Champions League. It was actually just scheduling, and we've been robbed of three teams in the Champions League this year. I wouldn't say we've been robbed, but I would say <laughs> scheduling is a major issue. She's right. Um, poor Sophie was like she was writing for the Guardian. Was like five one win, grand job. I'll go in, get some quotes. Delighted with the performance. Drop them into the article. Send it off. Go for a pint. Uh, no. Emma Hayes had something to say. What I like about this is that Emma Hayes said it after a really comfortable win. Mm. It it holds more weight because yeah. it's not like 
an excuse and it's not, you know, they've just gone out there, played on real, Lauren James, unplayable. And still, like, these issues need to be brought to light. Absolutely. She also referenced the, the fact that Jonas Eideville said it last season. You know, it's not just about Chelsea, which mm-hmm. many will say, maybe non-Chelsea fans might say, it's an excuse if they don't do well or, you know, it's all about Chelsea. It's not. She she touched on the fact that Jonas Eideville had raised it last season and still nothing has really been done. I like that they're friends now. I know before, like, Black Cat Gate uh, well, and all that. Like I wouldn't go that far. I don't think they're friends. Acquaintances. I think there's a respect. Yes. Yes. Great. Um, but she's absolutely right. Uh, I won't tell you what I was doing at four o'clock in the morning that, that morning uh, in Madrid, throwing up. Um, not had a good time over in Madrid. Tell uh, us about that food poisoning, Rachel. <laughs> Did you um, throw up on a plane, you said? I also threw up on a plane. Right. Um, yeah, she's absolutely right. Uh, it seems crazy. like Because the, they played the late kickoff on the Sunday, didn't they? Mm. And then they go and play in Europe, get back and forth. Like, you know, she was Emma was saying this, like, players are zombies the next day. Like, they need to be prioritising sleep rather than training, right? She said they can't leave until four o'clock because they have to do drug testing. I don't know about, I'm sure you've gone through this before. Players don't pee super quickly after a match, right? You're probably a little bit dehydrated. It's the worst thing when someone's watching you as well because they have to actually see the urine leaving your body. No. Yeah. So you're in a little room and then there's a little cup and then someone's got to... You've got watch to, you pee. Watch, they've got to see the urine leaving your body. That's oh probably more information my, than anyone wanted that to is know. So, no, but it's super interesting. But it's like, even if that. you wanted to wee, you can't because there's a woman watching you. In fact, she's not watching you, she's watching your crotch. That's even better. It's, it's, it's pretty bad, yeah. Wow. Mm. Um, anyway. but, no, but she is right. Um, and it, something needs to change. We've been calling out scheduling issues for ages. Scheduling issues is a problem across football in general, um, men's and women's football. But it does need to be looked at. And I think as well, when you're looking at other nations doing it, then why can't it be done here? Massively. I mean... The the big debate that Emma Hayes also gets involved in, as well as the VAR stuff, which we'll kind of touch on in a second, talking about the Real Madrid game, is the fact that you have to look at kind of like the recoveries of players and like how we are ending. I mean, we've had about eight ACLs, I think, since the start of the season, not just in the WSL, but also at uh, Real Madrid. We've had big names, we've got Caroline Weir. I mean, when you look at sort of the impact that scheduling and lack of recovery is having already, potentially, and the fact that a lot of these players are coming off the back of playing a major international tournament this year, a major international tournament last year. It's mental that this isn't being given more thought still. For you as a player, like when you've done late kickoff games mm. and maybe back when, you know, you weren't staying over in a hotel because your club couldn't afford it and you're driving back really late, getting back really late. The next day must just be a write-off. It's madness. I mean, if your club have any sense about you, then that day will that day will be a complete recovery day. There's absolutely no point you going in. If you ha- absolutely have to, like say, for example, we had a couple of like late... Wednesday Conti Cup games then we'd be straight in if there was like a Saturday fixture we've had a couple of those before but you should technically just rest the entire day anything after a match day should be maybe coming in for like some information but not obviously doing a full pitch session but then you do then lack the proper build-up the proper preparation the proper like feeling of like your body is properly because when you're thinking about like the exertions that you've got to put in like just for me as a goalkeeper I mean in an average match I could be covering about 6k I could be throwing myself on the floor roughly around you know 30 to 40 times I could be doing that 50 or 60 70 times in it in the course of a week over a training session plus all the gym strength and conditioning work that you're doing the toll that it puts on your body physically is absolutely madness so from a player perspective Think about it, guys. Like, I'm glad we saw Millie Bright rested. Yeah, that was sensible. Yeah, I mean, when you think about how much football she's worried played, though, when but, I saw that, I <laughs> yeah, was like, what's, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, yeah, yeah. whoa. But as Emma Hayes said, she's fine. Um, but yeah, given she came back off that injury just before the World Cup, played every game of the World Cup. Fair yeah. enough. 
it's great to see her arrested. But it was almost like a point, you know, that Emma Hayes was like, this is like, you have to do it. it doesn't, yeah, I, she's right. I just, she's right. Melda dropping in, captaincy, 5-1 as well. What a great, great run for captain so far. Um, well, Emma Hayes didn't just stop there in the old advocacy campaign for the last week. Uh, Real Madrid uh, last week, uh, it ended in a draw, but massively controversial. A last minute Chelsea winner was ruled out because Neve Charles was wrongly called as offside. Um, offside and also for the tackle that was clearly Jesse outside Fleming. of the <clears throat> box uh, with Jesse Fleming. Like, so... What? The Jesse Fleming one, like, it just wasn't. It wasn't. Like, there's no, it, it, that's like a black and white decision. It's not inside the box. It should, and people talk about, like, well, how far did the tackle carry on? And where did the player land? Irrelevant. The tackle happened outside the box a good, like, three metres, four metres outside the box. Massively. The offside one. So I think it was Sam Kerr that was called offside because Neve Charles was, like, behind at least three players and in sight of the lino because she was that far behind. Oh. But... I don't agree that Sam Kerr was interfering no, with not, the goalkeeper. Not in the slightest. So people are kind of, you know, you get all this from people in Twitter telling you, oh, you don't know the offside rule. I do know the offside rule. I, but I don't believe that Sam Kerr was interfering with play at all, with the goalkeeper at all. She was I too far away. So. Um, so I can understand. And like, I, I know we hear managers say robbed sometimes. It doesn't happen that often to the media, like to say we were robbed. And Emma Hayes was absolutely raging. Yeah, understandably absolutely raging because they dominated the second half and I think they, you know, they should have come away with the three points. So I can understand your irritation because VAR would have made all the difference. Well, if it was any consolation, Real Madrid then went on to get absolutely battered by Barcelona 5-0 in El Clasico at the weekend. Um, UEFA stated that no VAR in the Women's Champions League is down to a significant technical, operational and logistical challenges. Basically, they don't want to spend the money. It's not good enough. Um, Chelsea take on Paris FC on Thursday. A little bit of a nervy one. Paris FC lost their first game to Hacken in the Champions League. But at the same time, they are capable of destroying and taking down giants. So It's so interesting because, you know, a lot of us have been talking about Paris FC and rightly so because they, they knocked out Arsenal. They knocked out Wolfsburg. And it's so interesting to see now how they get on in the group stages because those qualifier games were effectively cup finals, right? Oh. You throw... Everything at it. Absolutely everything at and it. I did. And you get through, brilliant. Now you're in a group stage, it's not the same mentality. Vibe, right? Yeah. I... So to lose to Hacken, you know, that puts the cat amongst the pigeons, as they say. Um, it could be an interesting group. I cannot wait for this game. I honestly cannot wait. Um, Rach, where are you headed to? You heading to that game? What's your WSL plan for the weekend? I am. Well, I've got Champions League plan this week. I'm going to Bergen in Norway to see Bran versus Slavia Praha. Oh, lovely. Yeah, which I'm really looking forward to. And then This is just an, a, a chance to expense these lovely European gallivanting trips around. Well, it's work, but yeah. I mean, we did <laughs> we did Barcelona-Benfica as well last week, which is um, really good. Lovely. Lovely game. Uh, another 5-0 for Barcelona. Um, and yeah, then we'll be back in time for Stamford Bridge, Chelsea Paris FC. Oh my God. So I am definitely going to be watching Chelsea Paris FC um, on Thursday. I absolutely cannot wait. And then I'm also really excited about Chelsea Leicester as well uh, at Kings Meadow. And then also Arsenal v West Ham. That's just, where I'll be. Yeah, I just think that's going to be a really juicy little fixture. Wondering what kind of like problems West Ham are going to present um, for them. So, I think they will. I just think Arsenal, they're winning games. They're not looking super comfortable, but they're winning games. And I think that that's all that will matter to them. 
But I just think they have the capability of destroying teams like West Ham 6-2. Like, we've yeah, shown it's been done. True, but that first half was terrible. So but they're attack- forget about that. But the attack. Yeah. Attack. It's attack, like being attack, destroyed attack, attack. by ferocious dogs 712 like, like that, that formation <laughs> horrendous right thank you for listening remember you can find us on Instagram and X we are at morgie underscore 89 Rachel is at girls on the ball and we are generally at upfront underscore pod you can also find us on YouTube at upfront pod see you next week Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.